0: One, two, three. Testing 123, testing 123. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, part two of The Illusion of Agency. In part one, I went over the fact that the freedom to choose, sometimes called agency, in the LDS Church is a cornerstone of Mormon doctrine. We frequently hear how God's greatest gift to his children is the freedom to choose, and how that freedom to choose should never be curtailed or undermined, and in fact trying to curtail the agency of man and woman and undermining it was the chief goal of Lucifer when he presented his plan to save humanity in the Grand Council in heaven before this world was. I then looked at several examples of how it is that the LDS Church and its leaders seek to curtail the agency of its members, and specifically to curtail it in such a way is that all their freedom to choose ends up being the freedom to choose to do what the leaders of the church tell them to do. The funny thing about this is that this whole idea of doing a podcast on the illusion of agency came to me when I was listening to the worldwide young adult devotional given on May 3rd, 2020, just a little over a month ago now, by Elder Robert Gay and his wife Lynette. The reason it's funny is because even though this talk, this worldwide devotional by the gays, is what led me to speak on this subject, I went for over an hour in part one of the podcast and never even got to their talk. But tonight, I want to get into the twin talks by Sister Gay and Elder Gay. They spoke in that order on Sunday, May 3rd, 2020. And taking a global view of their two talks put together, it seems apparent to me that what Sister Gay did... Going first was to talk about how important personal revelation is to every member of the LDS Church. She was then followed up by her husband who effectively contradicted everything that his wife had to say on the subject of personal revelation by making it absolutely clear that any personal revelation that you might receive or any freedom that you might have to follow your personal revelation is always constrained by what the leaders of the church tell you to do. In fact, the centerpiece of Elder Gay's talk is an experience that he shared when he was called by an apostle to be a mission president in Africa back in 2004. The reason this is significant for purposes of this podcast is because Elder Gay and his wife both said no thank you to this calling. It was not a knee-jerk reaction on their part. They had a number of things going that required their attention that made it so that giving up three years of their life to go and live in Africa and be a mission president would throw a huge monkey wrench into And even though I want to go chronologically first through Sister Gay's talk and then through Elder Gay's talk, I do want to talk a little bit about this experience he shared because it really is the cornerstone of everything that both of them have to say. And it is a good example of how it is that in the LDS Church, your agency to choose is an illusion. Remember, the title of this is The Illusion of Agency. Well what Elder Gay and his wife found out was when they dared to exercise their agency and decline the invitation for him to be a mission president in Africa, that choice was immediately squashed by the apostle who issued the calling. Ultimately, I will get to the audio of Elder Gay telling the story himself, but for right now, I just want to read the coverage of this talk that was given in the LDS Church newsroom about this story. By the way, the title of this article is the same as the title of Elder Gay's talk, and that title is, Want God to Save Your Life? Question mark? Live by covenant, not convenience. So in other words, God wants to save our life, and the only way he will save our life is if we live by covenant, not convenience. And that is code, and not really very difficult code to decipher. What it means is, living by covenant means doing everything that leaders of the church tell you to do, and convenience means doing what you want to do in spite of what the leaders of the church tell you to do. So once again, the title of that talk, Want God to Save Your Life? Live by Covenant. Not convenience. The article starts out this way with this story. One day in early 2004, Robert C. Gay and his wife Lynette sat in the office of an apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Now, even though in his talk Elder Gay says this was a senior apostle, by which I understand him to mean he's one of the top six apostles and not one of the lower six apostles. I'm not sure there's actually been a hard and fast definition given to the expression we hear sometimes of senior apostle versus junior apostle, but I think that's pretty much the cutoff line. In his talk, he says it was a senior apostle. It doesn't say that here in this article, but at no place either in the talk or in the article is the name of this apostle actually given. I don't know why that is, but it is nonetheless the case. The article goes on. The gays Church members living in the eastern United States were busy. What were they busy with? Well, they were busy with family. They were busy with, get this, large humanitarian projects around the world. And this is in addition to Elder Gay's work as a senior managing partner of a global investment firm. Well, we can see why he came to the attention of church leadership as a likely candidate for promotion up the ladder. But not only were they busy with family, in his talk, Elder Gay will say that there were problematic family dynamics going on. In other words, they were having problems, some difficulty, he doesn't say exactly what, with some members of his family, which is likely children or grandchildren. There were some problems going on there that he felt he needed to be on the ground, present and accounted for in order to help with. And that being called as a mission president for three years would make it harder for him to do so. Of course, when you're a mission president, you cannot leave the mission boundaries. Neither can your wife. So this calling, if he accepted it, would place him for three years out of the country, on the other side of the world, and in a situation where his ability to interact with members of his family who apparently needed help would be limited. But the part that really caught my eye was that Elder Gay and his wife were also involved in large humanitarian projects around the world. And apparently, if he accepted the call, as a mission president, his ability to manage those large humanitarian projects around the world would also be limited. So really what we're seeing here is that whatever church leaders want you to do is what you need to do. You need to live by covenant, not convenience, even when that convenience involves not only helping out struggling members of your family, but also managing large humanitarian projects around the world. The church is always going to come first, no matter what it is you're doing, no matter how laudable, no matter how important. The work is that you're doing. The church will always come first. The article goes on. Even so, on that day, this apostle, by the way, apostle, although we do not get the name of the apostle, the word apostle is capitalized throughout. Even so, on that day, this apostle asked them to set their everyday lives aside for three years to be a mission president and companion, that's the wife, the companion, he's the mission president, she's the companion, of one of the faiths, 337 missions Considering the busyness of their lives, they politely declined. So get that. they politely declined. They know how busy they are, they know the obligations they have, they know the humanitarian projects that they are managing and all the good it's doing in the world. and so in light of all this, they politely decline. Now, that should be the end of the story, shouldn't it? I mean, if we really have a church that honors the freedom to choose, the agency, to make your own choices, that should be the end of the story. But of course, it's not because the apostle, the unnamed apostle with the capital A, is not going to let them simply decline this calling, this invitation. The article goes on. The apostle did not miss a beat. So this apostle immediately turns to Lynette, Sister Gay, and says this, Lynette, You are going to make a great missionary and companion to your husband. It's as if this apostle did not even hear or certainly did not acknowledge their polite declining of the calling he had just offered them. No, he says, Lynette, you are going to make a great missionary and companion to your husband, as if they had accepted instead of not accepted the calling. And then he says, turning to Robert, And the article lets us know that this is now elder gay of the presidency of the 70. Yes, that's where he's serving now in the presidency of the 70. But at the time, he was just Robert, apparently. Then turning to Robert, this apostle spoke with unmistakable candor. You really don't get it, the apostle said. The Lord is calling you to save your life. Now, this is an interesting expression. The Lord is calling you to be a mission president to save your life. That's where the title of the talk comes from. Want God to save your life? Live by covenant, not convenience. At no point does this apostle actually describe what it is he means when he says God is trying to save your life. And at no point in his talk does Elder Gay ever describe what this means, that somehow this calling to be a mission president is God trying to save his life. But the apostle goes on, you are either going to live your life by covenant or convenience. And that of course is where the second part of the title of the talk comes from. You are either going to live your life by covenant or convenience. So in other words, you are going to do what I say if you want to save your life. You are either going to live your life by the covenants that you've made at baptism and in the temple, by the way. You are either going to live your life by covenant Or convenience so apparently this covenant that all members are under and which is repeatedly invoked by church leaders is specifically a covenant to do everything that church leaders ask you to do tell you to do invite you to do it really doesn't make any difference what verb you use you've got to do everything that church leaders tell you to do and if you don't do everything that the church leaders tell you to do well you're just being selfish now you're just living your life not by covenant but by convenience, because it's convenient for you. The apostle went on, there is never a convenient time to serve. This is a matter of faith. You either believe that the Lord will bless your life with the blessings you need as you do his priorities, or you don't. So now the apostle really brings down the hammer on Elder and Sister Gay. He has questioned their faith, he has questioned their belief, and he has questioned their motivations. And he has made it clear that unless they do what the apostle has asked them to do, to be a mission president and his companion in Africa for three years, then they don't have sufficient faith, they don't have sufficient belief, and they are just being selfish. They're not doing what they promised to do by covenant. And once again, this is a classic example of what happens to members of the church when they actually dare to exercise the agency that the leaders of the church assure them they have and encourage them to use. Well, when you actually try and use it in the LDS church, you get squashed like a bug. And that's going to take us to the very last story that Elder Gay tells in his conference talk. But we'll get to that when we get to the audio. Literally, the squashing of a bug. It is the tale of the resurrecting gnat. Not kidding. So how did Elder Gay feel when the Apostle just totally ripped away his free agency, which he thought he had, but now he's finding out, hey, free agency isn't free. (laughs) The article goes on. Elder Gay was stunned. Upon further prayerful reflection, he and Lynette realized their lives were out of balance with their faith and their church. Now, this is another remarkable part of this story, is that they realize their life is out of balance. Now, he is fully busy doing his work as a senior managing partner of a global investment firm. On top of that, they're busy with their family, some of whom are having problems, as I said before. And on top of that, they're also involved in large humanitarian projects. That's projects, plural around the world and when he gives his talk elder gay will also mention that they were also involved in many church assignments and callings at the same time as we might expect and yet now they're going to say that their life was out of balance doing all of these things and that the only way they could bring their life into balance was to drop everything else that they were doing and go to Africa for three years so guess what they chose to do if you guess that they chose to serve the mission you go to the head of the class and the mission they served was as the president and companion of the mission in ghana in Accra, ghana accra and here's what elder gay teaches from this experience a covenant life is a more balanced life lived according to god's priorities not our own agendas now a covenant life as elder gay is describing it may be many things but it is certainly not a more balanced life He has gone to the far end of the spectrum. He is all in now. He's going to do whatever church leaders tell him to do, regardless of what other things he may be sacrificing, other things he has to give up, other people who may not be receiving the positive end of all these large humanitarian projects around the world. Well, they are just going to have to wait because an apostle with a capital A has invited him with quotation marks to serve as a mission president in Africa. As I say, you can call this covenant life a lot of things, but don't try and tell me it's a more balanced life. Balance typically comes in the middle of something. That's where balance is found, not at the polar extremes of any given issue. It's like in politics where sometimes I will hear of somebody who is way fringe right or way fringe left on the political spectrum and yet trying to characterize themselves as moderates. Now, this is not a political show. I'm not making any political commentary above and beyond the fact that you're free to have whatever political beliefs that you choose. But if you're going to be at the fringe, either on the right or on the left, that's up to you. But don't try and convince me that you're a moderate because a moderate, by its very definition, is not on the fringe. It's somewhere in the middle. In the same way, Elder Gay, you're free to live your life any way you want. Well, actually, not really. You're free to live your life apparently the way the leaders of the church tell you to live your life. But don't tell me that that is a more balanced life because it simply is not. This is a way of completely changing the definition of the word balance to make it sound more reasonable when Elder Gay completely caves and surrenders his freedom of choice to what an apostle browbeats him into doing. Once again, he says a covenant life is a more balanced life lived according to God's priorities not our own agendas. Notice the use of language there once again. If it's God, it's priorities. God has priorities. God doesn't have an agenda. No, that's negative. God has a priority. We live our life according to God's priorities, not our own agendas. See, when we want to do something, when we have commitments or interests that we want to pursue, that's an agenda. And by the way, when we're talking about God's priorities, we're actually talking about the church's priorities. Let's make no bones about that. All right. This is the church's priorities. Now, obviously, elder gay and faithful members of the church believe that God speaks to leaders of the church. So any calling that they're going to give to a member is from God. I get that. But these are the church's priorities. Even if you believe they get it from God, it's the church's priorities. So if we switch out the words in that sentence, let's see how it reads the other way. A covenant life is a more balanced life live according to the church's agendas, not our own priorities. You see how that's equally true, and yet all of a sudden now, it sounds a lot more sinister than the way it was put originally. You see, God has priorities for us. We only have our own selfish agendas. Elder Gay goes on, our lives have not been the same since. Well, I'm sure that's true. We have been completely blessed by his love and tutoring. If I know anything, I know that this same blessing will be yours if you faithfully stay on his covenant path so the blessings of god will be bestowed upon the members if they stay on the covenant path and this is important here because the covenant path is being defined specifically as allowing leaders of the church to override your freedom to choose and caving to whatever it is they ask you to do that is the definition of staying on the covenant path. I'm glad that Elder Gay said this because now it makes it very clear and God will only bless us completely if we do everything that leaders of the LDS Church tell us to do. That is his message. And then he concludes this part by saying to the young adults, God wants to save your life. Once again, he repeats the expression, but he never really defines what it is he means by it. God wants to save your life. Unless, of course, he's talking about some kind of eternal salvation, but he doesn't even make that much clear. He wants the impact of the expression without bothering to explain what it means in real terms. And frankly, within the context of the story itself, God wants to save your life sounds an awful lot like God wants to take Your life. God wants to take your life and do whatever it is that God wants to do with it, in spite of what it is that you may have going at the present time. And more specifically, it's really the church leaders. Church leaders want to take your life and do whatever it is that the church leaders want to do with your life. You do not really have the freedom to choose what it is you want to do with your life. It is always subject to the discretion and the whim and the invitation of church leaders. Okay, so that is the main story that Elder Gay tells. And it is such an amazing story of a church leader overriding an individual's freedom to choose that I'm going to play it here. I'm going to play the audio of Elder Gay telling this story because really, you have to hear it In his own words, I had originally planned to play these talks in order, first Sister Gay and then Elder Gay, and go along and play audio clips and then comment on them, but I think that's probably not going to be the most effective way of presenting this podcast. Frankly, both their talks have long stretches in them that are at least to me quite boring, and I don't want to put you through that as well. If you want to hear everything they have to say, I encourage you to go to the church website and give it a listen. I think you'll see what it is I'm talking about. However, there are a number of things that both Sister and Elder Gay say that are worth commenting on, and I'm not even going to do that in order. I'm going to jump around from talk to talk in order to hit on those items that I think are the most important. So here is Elder Gay telling the story of how an unnamed apostle overrode his freedom to choose and that of his wife when he offered him a calling, an invitation to serve as a mission president in Africa, and in light of everything that Elder and Sister Gay had going on in their lives, they politely declined. That wasn't good enough. Here's the story in Elder Gay's own words. Play the tape.
1: I will never forget the time my wife and I were interviewed by a senior member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles about my willingness to serve as a mission president. My wife and I had many things going on in our lives. At the time of our interview, we were involved in some very challenging family dynamics. We were engaged in large humanitarian efforts across the world that required a lot of our attention and resources. And I was a senior managing partner of a global investment business, not to speak of all the church callings we were working on. I thought we were already doing as much as we could possibly do. As we sat there that day with this beloved apostle and reflected on all that we had going on, we both politely said, this was probably not the best time for us to serve a mission. Without hesitation, this member of the Twelve turned to my wife and said, Lynette, You are going to make a great missionary and companion to your husband. He then turned to me and he said, you know, you really don't get it. The Lord is calling you to save your life. You are either going to live your life by covenant or convenience. There is never a convenient time to serve. This is a matter of faith. You either believe that the Lord will bless your life with the blessings you need as you do his priorities, or you don't. Quietly, I sat there stunned. I had just been told that the Lord was trying to save my life. I was living a good life then, but I was greatly out of balance. On that afternoon, as Lynette and I left the Apostle's office, we went home to prayerfully consider how we were going to live our lives. We quickly made the choice to serve and live our lives by covenant, doing whatsoever things the Lord asked of us. A covenant life is a more balanced life, lived according to God's priorities, not our own agendas. Our lives have never been the same since. We have been completely blessed by his love and his tutoring. If I know anything, I know that the same blessing will be yours if you faithfully stay on his covenant path. God wants to save your life. And I wanted to go to that story first because
0: that really is the main story he tells. It's the story that leads in this article on the church website about the devotional. And now having this idea firmly in mind, we're able to go back to the beginning of the devotional and listen to Sister Gay give the talk that leads into her husband's talk. Once again, Sister Gay is going to talk about how important personal revelation is in making decisions in our life. And then Elder Gay is going to come along and back clean up and make it clear that whatever (laughs) person that whatever freedom a person has in their life, whatever agency members have is always to be overridden by whatever a church leader asks you to do. And actually I want to go to the introduction of Elder and Sister Gay right before Sister Gay speaks because the guy who's doing the introduction talks a little bit about the humanitarian projects in which the Gays were involved. The humanitarian projects, which apparently they had to abandon in 2004 when they went to go serve this mission in Africa. Play the tape.
1: Elder Robert C. Gay was sustained as a General Authority, 70, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on
0: March 31st, 2012. He currently serves as a member of the presidency of the 70. Prior to his call as a general authority, Elder Gay worked in business and nonprofit poverty relief. Here's where we get that additional detail. These large humanitarian efforts around the world that are mentioned in the article are now further clarified to be nonprofit poverty relief. That's what Elder Gay was involved in. That's what he gave up to go and be a mission president. I think this is starting to make uncomfortably clear what the priorities of the LDS Church are. Hmm, Global poverty relief versus being a mission president. Let's go with being a mission president for 200, Alex. Sister Lynette Gay has founded and directed multiple charitable organizations, especially in Africa. So it appears that Sister Gay is no slouch either when it comes to doing charitable work. She has founded multiple charitable organizations. Now, some of those are in Africa. And once again, this introduction is being given in 2020. She and her husband were called to serve in Africa in 2004, remember. So it's not clear when it was exactly that she started these charitable organizations. But good for you, Sister Gay. What we do know, however, from Elder Gay's story is that no matter when you had started these charitable organizations or how important they were to the people receiving the services that were being provided through these charitable organizations, a church calling from a church leader would trump those obligations and those services in a heartbeat. Going on. She and Elder Gay both served as missionaries together in Ghana. They've been married 46 years and are parents of seven children and grandparents to their 20 grandchildren. Please notice the 20 grandchildren because one of the first things that Lynette is going to talk about is how sad she is that she hasn't been able to see her grandchildren for many, many months. Now, it is not completely clear whether she is talking about problem seeing her grandchildren because of the worldwide pandemic or whether it is because of church service that she is required to fulfill with her husband. In other words, her husband is called as a president of the 70 and as such, he has authority over different areas of the church. According to his church bio, Elder Gay is currently serving not only in the presidency of the 70, but as part of that calling, he is supervising the area of the church that is over the northeastern United States. And on top of that, for some reason, he's also assisting Elder Stevenson of the Apostles in supervising Eastern Asia. Now, I'm not sure how all that works, but it does sound like Elder Gay has an awful lot on his plate and his wife, his companion really has to be with him pretty much every step of the way. So once again, it's not clear whether Sister Gay cannot see her grandchildren because of her husband's church assignments or whether it's because of the coronavirus pandemic. But either way, we are all too familiar with the fact that these kind of callings of church leadership, not only being a mission president and companion, but also further up the ranks of leadership in the LDS church, does restrict people substantially from otherwise spending as much time as they would like to with their family including their own children and grandchildren. This is true for seniors who are called on missions and it is equally true for people who are called to serve higher up in the ranks of the LDS church. We will now hear from the choir. We're going to skip the opening song from the choir and go right to Sister Gay's remarks. Now what she's going to do at the very beginning is she is going to strike an ominous note because she's going to go through an extended metaphor about various kinds of extreme weather that she has experienced while she's been globetrotting with her husband in his various church assignments. It is important to set the mood at the outset that this is a dangerous world full of dangerous things and we need to stay close to God and have his personal revelation in our lives in order for us to be safe. But before Sister Gay gets to the weather, she gives a tearful shout out to her many grandchildren whom she has not been able to see for many months and hopes that they are listening so that they will know how much she loves them. Play the tape.
2: Good evening, brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful for that song. It's one of my all-time favorites, and it's given me a sense of peace and love at this time. I also want to express my humility and love for being here with you this evening. Knowing many people around the world, it's um, very humbling to know the prayers that have been spoken. And I want to send my love to my grandchildren, our grandchildren we haven't seen for many months. Hopefully they're listening because they know how much we love them.
0: Now, once again, Sister Gay does not tell us the exact reason that she has not been able to see her grandchildren, her 20 grandchildren, for many months, as she puts it. But it is obvious that it is causing her a great deal of sorrow and distress. We are only too aware that in the lds church when men get called to positions of leadership they frequently have to leave their families their children and their grandchildren for long stretches of time to fulfill their responsibilities around the world and frequently where the husband goes the wife has to follow so this may indeed be the reason that sister gay has not seen her grandchildren for many months is because of church service once again illustrating the point that when it comes to choosing between your family and the church. The church is always supposed to win, hands down. No matter how much the church trumpets the idea that families are the most important thing in the world, really, when the rubber meets the road, it's the church that is the most important thing in the world and families will have to wait, as Sister Gay is illustrating at this point in her talk. But now on to the weather report from Sister Gay. Remember, wherever you go, There's dangerous weather out there. And you don't want to be too fast and loose with how you use your free agency, because unless you use your God-given ability to choose to do whatever church leaders tell you, well, you could get caught in a storm and struck by lightning. I think this is the point she's driving at and why it is that she sets up her talk in this fashion. Play the tape.
2: And if they were here, they would testify to the fact that I love weather, all kinds of weather, sunshine, Pleasant breezes, snowstorms, windstorms, thunderstorms, and even nor'easters with great swells and waves breaking on a beach. Over the last 45 years, we've lived in many different parts of the United States and around the world, and each place has had its own weather challenges. In the United States, in the Midwest, it was dramatic lightning storms and tornadoes. In the Southeast, it was hurricanes. In the Northeast, Blizzards, freezing rains and ice storms. In the West, hot Santa Ana winds and earthquakes. In West Africa, there were torrential downpours and dust storms from the Harmaton, which were the red sands from Sahara blowing across the country. And in Europe, there was rain, sleet, snow, and sunshine, sometimes all in the same day. And then in Asia, we felt the power of typhoons. All of these different weather experiences were always exciting to me, What can I say? I love weather. (laughs) But that being said, as much as I look forward to experiencing Mother Nature and her grandeur, I have a profound respect for the power and possible dangers always present in fierce weather events.
0: Okay, after that extended metaphor, now we're finally getting to the point, the danger associated with severe weather events. And in case you didn't see it coming, she's going to liken physical weather events to spiritual weather events and spiritual Dangers. Going on.
2: I would never risk my life, no matter the temptation or beauty I see in that force. I would never purposefully choose to put myself in the middle of an open field just to observe an amazing show of lightning. I would not dive into an ocean while powerful, majestic waves are crashing dangerously on shore. And I would not tempt Mother Nature by failing to take shelter with the coming of a tornado or hurricane.
0: Okay, are you starting to get the picture? She has the freedom to go out in the middle of a field to watch a lightning storm, but she would never do that because that would be dangerous. That would be stupid to use your free agency in that way. No, free agency is properly and only safely used in doing what it is that God wants us to do. That is the illusion of agency. See?
2: I definitely recognize my own puniness compared to the full force of the weather present around me. For me, the force of shifting weather is an important life metaphor. As we walk out our doors each day, you and I are greeted by not only uncontrollable physical weather events, but ever-powerful spiritually weathering forces and temptations. Though the circumstances are likely different for each of you, it should cause you to ask, how can I best prepare for the daily weathering that surrounds my life? I believe we do this by what our prophet, President Nelson, strongly counseled at our recent conference to follow the profound declaration that opened this presentation: when God said, this is my beloved son, hear him. We may not fully see or comprehend what may be swirling towards us, above us or behind us, or always be able to anticipate powerful and unseen forces coming our way but we can be confident in our daily journey if we hear him. Elder Boyd K. Packard was often heard to say, if all you know is what you see with your natural eyes and hear with your natural ears, then you will not know very much. A great truth of the first vision is this reality. If you depend solely on your own vision and knowledge, you will be sorely limited in seeing the larger picture surrounding you and your soul may be in danger.
0: Now here, Sister Gay alludes to two themes that both speakers carry on throughout their devotional. The first is bad weather, dangerous weather that you have to be careful of and you need to have personal revelation in order to stay out of danger. Elder Gay will go on and make clear that that personal revelation really needs to be revelation to do whatever it is that church leaders tell you and that is what will keep you out of danger. The other theme has to do with being able to see clearly, to be able to really see what is going on in the world, to be able to see the reality that is behind what it is we see with our natural eyes and here with our natural ears. Elder Gay tells a story on his wife back when they were both in college when he went to visit her, which illustrates this point. And it also illustrates the point that if you're going to tell a story that is somewhat deprecating of another person, especially your wife, it's probably a better idea to have your wife tell that story. So here we go, Elder Gay telling a story on his wife where she does something incredibly stupid, but which he wants to frame as a really stupid thing his wife did through which he learned an invaluable lesson. And yes, this invaluable lesson is, don't drive a car without your glasses. These are the kind of mundane and pedestrian things that everybody and their dog knows, but which frequently are characterized as profound and invaluable truths being passed on to the members of the church by the leaders of the church. Play the
1: tape. As I said, I appreciate having my wife here with me tonight. She is my everything. We met years ago in high school. After our high school graduation, she went to Rick's College in Rexburg, Idaho, and I went to BYU in Provo, Utah. In our first year of college, I decided one weekend to drive to visit her at Rexburg. There, She taught me an invaluable lesson. She did not have a car, and it had been some time since she had been able to drive. As we left her apartment, she asked me if she could drive my car. I said, sure. We soon started down a hill close to where she lived. About halfway down the hill, she asked me, is there a stop sign at the end of the street? The stop sign was totally visible, and I immediately said, yes, there's a stop sign. She said, okay, I thought so, I just can't see it. I asked, why can't you see it? She said, because I don't have my glasses on, and I can't see much without my glasses. I then said something like, and why aren't you wearing your glasses? Because I don't like how they look on me, but I forgot I can't see everything without them. I said, well, then you better let me drive. The lesson was simple. Unless you can see clearly, you will always be in danger. Now, I ask you, how are you driving your life forward? Are you conducting your life with the glasses needed to see life's reality
0: clearly? So as I say, here Elder Gay tells a story on his wife. They have been sweethearts since high school. They are now going to college in different areas. He goes up to Bricks College to visit her and she wants to drive his car. Now apparently, she doesn't like the way glasses look on her. She wants to look her best because her boyfriend's coming up from BYU. So she starts driving his car without her glasses and hilarity ensues. It's interesting to me that when Elder Gay finds out that she's not wearing her glasses and she can't see without her glasses, his immediate response is not, hey, let's just go back to your place and we'll get your glasses and you can drive on from there. No, his immediate response is, okay, then I'll drive the car, honey. This lesson is not only about needing glasses to see, something that really no ghost malord needs come from the grave to tell us this, but that women should not be driving the man's car. And extrapolating that only a little bit further, women should not be running the men's church. I do not imagine that Elder Gay has any idea how patriarchal and paternalistic his relating of this story could sound to certain ears. And I cannot tell how Sister Gay feels about having this story about her rolled out by her husband for exposure to thousands and thousands and thousands of church members who are listening. I will say that it tends to paint Sister Gay as somewhat of a ditch. And Sister Gay, in her talk, tells a story about personal revelation that she received, which tends to confirm that impression. Now, I'm not here saying that Sister Gay is a ditz, All right, That wouldn't be fair. I will say, however, that if they ever make a movie about her life, her part should be played by Goldie Hawn. Now, as you remember, Sister Gay is giving her talk first about how important personal revelation is, and she wants to give an example of an incident where she herself received personal revelation. So I've got to expect this is one of the best stories she's got. You listen to this story from Sister Gay, and we'll see if you are as impressed with this story of personal revelation as I am. In a thumbnail form, Sister Gay and her husband are over on the East Coast in the United States. It's many years ago. Their daughter, one of their daughters, is in college at the University of Utah at the time. Sister Gay wakes up in the middle of the night very peacefully, not scared, not terrified, but very peacefully awoken by the spirit, of course, with this very peaceful feeling that her daughter at the University of Utah may be in danger. So what is she impressed to do? Well, she doesn't apparently call her daughter up and say, hey, are you okay? Because I've got this impression that maybe something's wrong. What's going on, sweetheart? No, instead, her impression is not to call her daughter, but instead to call the local police department. That's right. The spirit tells her to call the local police department and ask for an officer to swing by where it is her daughter lives just to check out the area and make sure everything is okay. Now, she does know that the officer seemed a little bit surprised and maybe confused by this request on her part because she had no basis for saying why it was she felt her daughter might be in danger, other than God told me. She doesn't know if the police officer or anybody swung by her daughter's house. She doesn't know any details about what happened, but later on, she finds out something that makes the pieces click in her mind, and now this becomes a miracle in her life of personal revelation Potentially, and quite possibly, though not conclusively, saving her daughter's life from a murderer. Play the tape.
2: Many years ago, when our oldest daughter was a student at the University of Utah, I was peacefully awakened in the middle of the night and received an immediate, calm impression about her. I was wide awake, but did not feel any fear, just love for her. But I was impressed that she may be in danger We lived in Connecticut and she was clear across the country in Utah. Then this thought came to me. Call the police. Ask them if they can send a police car to check out the area around where she lives. I hesitated for a minute trying to understand what I was hearing and heard the voice again. Call the police. So I did just that. I called the police. I couldn't explain to the officer exactly why I was asking this in the middle of the night but I told him I would really appreciate it if he would please send a car to check out the area around her house. He assured me he would, and I calmly went back to bed. I awoke the next day hardly remembering what had occurred during the night. Several days later, while traveling to Utah and while driving to our hotel, we heard on the radio that the police had arrested a man in connection with assaults that had taken place around the housing near the University of Utah campus. The report said that a young woman had been tragically murdered one evening that week. My heart stopped, and I immediately remembered my middle-of-the-night call to the police several days earlier. I have no idea if that was even the same evening, and I had no idea if her sorority is one of the target houses, and I never know I will never know exactly what happened or occurred that night but I do know that a quiet nudge awoke me in the middle of the night and compelled me to make a call to help ensure my daughter's safety in what was an apparently unsafe situation."
0: So that's the story from Sister Gay. Now, I want to give Sister Gay some credit here because she's not telling the story as if it is conclusively a miracle that it absolutely proves that she was right, that the revelation she received was true and accurate, and that it really resulted in saving her daughter from harm. That much, I think, is laudable because too often we see speakers in church, mostly men, who will take something like this that is not miraculous in nature and then extrapolate it and embellish it and add details in order to make it a full-blown miracle sister gay seems to resist that temptation so good for her as far as that goes it does seem to me however That the way that Sister Gay recites this story is done in such a manner as to make it impossible to prove whether the personal revelation she received in the middle of the night to call the cops in Utah had any effect whatsoever in saving her daughter from this murderer who is skulking about the campus and assaulting women we don't know the exact year she just says it was many years ago now she's got 20 grandchildren so I'm guessing this was at least 20 years ago that her daughter would have been a student in college at the University of of Utah. She says that several days after this incident, while she and her husband were driving to Utah, apparently they are already in Utah by this point, and they hear on the radio the story about the murderer who had been arrested for killing tragically. This woman, who was a student at the University of of Utah. Now, the word several can cover a lot of ground. We don't know if it's two or three, if it's five or six, if it's ten or it's fourteen days later. We have no idea. And Sister Gay does not seem to have been interested enough or curious enough about following up on the matter. To grab a newspaper and start comparing dates and looking at facts. The facts that she says she doesn't know. She doesn't know what the date was when he was skulking about and doing horrible things. She doesn't even know if this guy was targeting the sorority house where her daughter lived. Nevertheless, she seems fully convinced and content to accept this as a miracle that regardless of whether it was this murder guy skulking around and assaulting women or some other danger that the Spirit of God had come to her and given her a legitimate personal revelation that she needed to call the police and have them go drive by the sorority house to see if anything was the matter. Apparently, nothing was the matter. Her daughter was fine and therefore that confirms the revelation she receives as being from God. And unfortunately, even though I don't like to do this, we have to look at the other side of the coin because there were other women assaulted, according to Sister Gay. There was even a young female student murdered around this time, according to Sister Gay. And apparently, apparently, God was not on the ball enough to give a personal revelation to the mother of the murdered student to wake up in the middle of the night and give the University of Utah police a call and ask him to go by where she lived in order to thwart the designs, of her murderer. But that's okay. God was probably too busy waking up Sister Gay in the middle of the night to get around to waking up the mother of the murdered girl. Did I mention Goldie Hawn should play Sister Gay in the movie? But it seems Sister Gay may have found a completely suitable companion in her husband. Because at the end of his talk, I referenced this earlier, at the end of his talk, he shares with us what is apparently one of the most spiritual experiences he's ever had in his entire life. And this event has to do once again with back when he was in college, a sophomore this time, when he killed a gnat. Yes, that's G-N-A-T. He killed a gnat and then felt so sorrowful and remorseful about the situation and what he had done, that he prayed to God to bring the gnat back to life, and guess what, folks? That gnat came back to life and buzzed happily away. If you don't believe me, here's the story in Elder Gay's own words. And actually, he's gonna introduce this story by making a few other comments that I wanna say something about, so there will be a little bit of a lead into the story, and you'll hear me jumping in now and then to say a few
1: pithy things. I would like to close where I begin. I believe you are the greatest generation of young adults in the history of this church. Okay, that hacks me off because
0: I'm 60 years old now, and when I was 20, 40 years ago, I, I was part of the greatest generation of people ever sent to this earth. Not these squirts nowadays. Me.
1: Me, Elder Gay. Me. Going on. You may be also the generation that faces the greatest challenges. Nope, that was my generation too.
0: I mean, how many generations can general authorities say the exact same thing to about how they're the greatest generation, and they're going to face the biggest challenges, and they're going to be the ones ushering in the second coming of Jesus Christ
1: before somebody starts to get wise? As you reflect on the challenges that surround you, remember that God has said, for I, the Lord, will judge men according, all men, according to their works, according to the desire of their hearts. The Spirit can help you cultivate your desires, but you alone get to choose what you desire. And you alone are accountable to God for that choice.
0: Okay, so bad weather outside is not the only thing we need to be worried about. We need to be worried about how mad God is going to be with us and what God is going to do to us if we don't choose to do everything that the leaders of the church tell us to do. We are accountable for our decisions, once again, hedging in our freedom to choose and giving us the illusion of agency.
1: He has also declared that according to your desires shall it be done unto you. This means you better want the consequences of what
0: you want. Wow, nice manipulative tactic there, Elder Gay. We better want the consequences of what we want. And if we don't want to go serve a mission in Africa when an apostle gives us a calling to do so, if we want to actually exercise our free agency and do what it is that we want to do, then bad consequences await us. Thanks for the safety tip, Elder Gay. All
1: right, that's bad. Okay, all right, important safety tip. Thanks,
0: Egon. And I think Elder Gay is now ready to tell us the sacred and spiritual story of the dying and
1: resurrecting Nat. The floor is yours, Elder Gay. I close with this personal experience and testimony from my life. Years ago, as a college sophomore, I was studying for final exams in an apartment by myself. It was a warm day, and as I was reviewing my papers, a gnat started buzzing in front of my face. The persistence of that gnat began to really annoy me. Finally, I had enough. I raised my hands and slapped them together and killed the gnat. I cannot explain, to this day, what happened next. I looked down at the dead gnat in the palm of my hand and felt great compassion. I said to myself, that gnat did not need to die. It is only dead because of my frustration and impatience. I then knelt and prayed to God to forgive me and let that gnat live again. As I finished that prayer, that gnat flew off my hand. I have asked myself for years, why did God do this for me? Um, maybe he did it for the gnat? Many answers have come. Was one of the answers that the gnat was only stunned and not killed? But none more important than this, he wanted me to understand at the very core that he has all power to lift me or anyone else, even the least. He wanted me to know he has complete compassion for our weaknesses and that he numbers the very hairs on our heads. Now, if he would restore a gnat, he will never forsake you, no matter where you stand.
0: That is a remarkable story, Elder Gay, and I've got to confess, even in my most TBM days, I think that story probably would have raised at least one eyebrow on yours truly. It seems a bit excessive on the emotion side of a sophomore in college being so distraught over killing a freaking gnat. The word scrupulosity comes to mind, and I kind of wonder if maybe Elder Gay suffers to some degree from that form of OCD. But really, perhaps this is even a more spiritual story than Elder Gay understands. Perhaps that gnat was the savior gnat of all the other gnats. Perhaps he needed to die and be resurrected so that all other gnats could die and be resurrected too as a gift from god and perhaps elder gay unbeknownst to him was playing the part of heavenly father in this drama he killed the gnat and then he brought it back to life and quite possibly on the first sunday of every month All the gnats in the world gather together in their local congregations and bear testimony to each other about this particular gnat, whose name may or may not have been Jesus, yea, verily, even Jesus of (laughs) Nazareth. oh, somebody, stop me, who died and was resurrected so that all gnats could be resurrected and live forever through the mercies and the grace of this gnat's atonement. Too soon? Maybe so. But I think it's interesting to look at the story from the Nat's perspective instead of Brother Gay's perspective. He asked, why would God do this for me? And I interposed, well, maybe he did it for the Nat. It's not all about you, Elder Gay. See? But I have to hand it to Elder Gay. He has actually given us a miracle story of a death and a resurrection happening, not by priesthood power, but by sincere prayer to God within the Mormon church. And I may have to include this story the next time I'm doing another podcast on a general conference death march. But notice that the priesthood was not used on this gnat. This is not a priesthood healing, so perhaps it does not qualify after all. In fact, it would be kind of hard to anoint a gnat with olive oil. First, it's hard to find his little head. Second, you run the risk of drowning the gnat with the oil and making him really dead instead of just stunned, which is what I have no doubt this particular gnat was. This story about Elder Gay and the Nat reminds me of a song from the musical Good News. I was in this musical back in 1984 in Austin, Texas. It's a musical that's set in a college back in the 1920s, and there are a lot of 1920s songs, actual 1920s songs, that are put into the musical and sung by the different members of the cast. But the song that this reminds me of is kind of a silly song, and it goes like this. I'll just sing the first verse, Don't Worry. Never swat a fly, he may love another fly, he may sit with her and sigh the way I do with you. (laughs) This has been Silly Songs with Radio Free Mormon, the part of the show where Radio Free Mormon comes out and sings a silly song. Okay, so Elder Gay, never swat a gnat. Words to live by. No wonder Sister Gay liked him so much that she didn't want to wear her glasses. He is such a bad boy. I mean, it's like Guinevere falling in love with Lancelot when he brings back to life the other knight that he just killed in the joust, right? Who can resist a guy like that? But back to the subject at hand, that of restricting the individual's freedom to choose, Elder Gay, earlier in his talk, makes the point crystal clear by literally stacking the deck in front of the audience. Now when you're going to do a card trick and you got to stack the deck before you do the trick, you want to stack the deck outside the presence of the audience. You want to stack it somewhere where the audience doesn't see. But here he is going to literally stack the deck. And by literally, I mean figuratively, in front of the audience in such a way that he makes it clear that there's only one answer that people can get from God. When they pray to God for revelation, there is only one answer that they can get. And that answer is the same answer that Elder Gay got. And that answer, of course, is the church is true. Play the tape. Now,
1: all the internet searches in this world, across the web's nearly billion and a half sites, cannot tell you if this church is true or if Jesus Christ lives. Only God can reveal that to you. By the way, it's at this
0: point in this talk that Elder Gay actually comes out and identifies one of the primary reasons that he's giving this talk to the young adults in the first place, and that is because they are finding out negative information about the church through the internet. And the negative information, frankly, that they're finding out about the church through the internet, is the negative information that is true information about the church, but that the church has been busy hiding from its members. That's why they have to go to the internet in order to find it. And in his very next words now, Elder Gay is going to stack that deck and tell his listeners that the only valid revelation they can receive when they pray to God is that the church is true. Why? Because that's the revelation he got, and God is not going to give them a different revelation
1: than the one God gave to Elder Gay. And the bottom line is this. God will not tell you one truth and tell me another. We will all get the same answers as we inquire and seek after him with sincerity, faith, and real intent. Okay, you see what Elder Gay
0: did there? After his wife went first and explained how wonderful and important and vital it is for every member of the church to receive personal revelation so they can know what is true and what they should do in their life, now Elder Gay comes in and closes the loop to make sure that the audience understands that the only valid revelation they can receive as to what is true is the same revelation he received, which is that, of course, the LDS Church is true and its leaders are prophets of God. And the only valid thing they can do based upon that revelation is sacrifice their free agency and do everything the leaders of the LDS Church tell them to do. This is another of the reasons why these two talks by the gays in this worldwide devotional so accurately illustrate the illusion of agency that is prevalent in the LDS Church. Now I'm going to cycle back to the beginning of Eldergate's talk and play a number of snippets of things he said throughout his talk and make some comments on it, and then we'll wind up this podcast. The first is his comment at the beginning of how he agrees with Elder Ballard. By the way, Elder Gay is an atrocious name dropper. He drops the name of apostles that he's hobnobbed with throughout his talk, But how he agrees with Elder Ballard that this generation, yes, this generation of young adults is the best generation, the greatest generation that's ever come to earth, that that is because they have the greatest challenges to face and that this is the generation that is going to be responsible for preparing the way to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes, he's going to say the exact same thing to this generation, to the young adults today in 2020, as was told to the young adults in my day back in 1978. And every generation since then. I know I've already touched on this subject before when Elder Gay said it at the end of his talk, but here's where he says it more fully at the beginning of his talk. Play the tape.
1: Not long ago, President M. Russell Ballard said, I believe this is the greatest generation of young adults in the history of the church. I honestly feel that is true. You are a special generation raised up to navigate turbulent times and to help prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. At some point, I think
0: I have to do a podcast collecting and assembling all the different times over the decades and over the generations that LDS leaders have said the exact same thing to the young adults of their day. But that exercise is beyond the scope of tonight's podcast. Oh, there's another interesting thing that Elder Gay now says. Apparently, there were tens of thousands of young adults who texted in questions that they wanted Elder and Sister Gay to answer during their devotional. I was not aware of this fact. And the only reason I know about it is because Elder Gay himself mentions it at the outset. And the thing that's fascinating to me is that he did not know himself or his wife know about all these tens of thousands of texted questions from young adults until they were actually on their way to give their devotional that night. It's only then that their handlers or whoever it is who knows about these texts tells them that they have received these tens of thousands of texts with all these questions. And his hope is, hey, I haven't read the text. I didn't even know about it until I got here. I'm totally unprepared to answer any of the questions that have been texted to me. But I really hope that since I've been preparing this talk by the spirit, that the spirit will answer those questions regardless of the fact that I never once bothered to take a look at them.
1: Tonight, uh, as we came here to this broadcast, we were told that we had received Tens and tens of thousands of tweets and questions about the Spirit and about personal revelation. I hope that tonight, as you listen to my wife and myself, that we're able to answer those questions. I pray that the Holy Ghost, who is the teacher, will be able to answer to the one as well as to the many. So apparently those were tweets, not texts, but the point remains the same. According to
0: Elder Gay, actually tens of thousands of young adults tweeted in questions that they wanted him and his wife to address, questions for which they wanted to have answers but they were never even read by the speakers prior to giving their talk. I think that speaks volumes about how interested church leaders are in actually addressing the questions that the members of the church have. In the next audio clip, Elder Gay harkens back to the theme that he established by telling the story on his wife about how she could not see without her glasses, and he talks about if you have your glasses, remember, so that you can see reality. The reality that you're supposed to be able to see is that the church is true and that the leaders of the church are prophets of God and that you need to do everything that the leaders of the church tell you to do, and now he's going to contrast those glasses that help you see the reality that the church is true by discouraging members from listening to other voices that say something different. Because remember, whenever you're investigating something on which your eternal salvation hangs, it's important only to hear one side
1: of the story. Am I seeing my life through the eyes of God's truths, commandments and covenants, or through my own eyes? Am I daily hearkening to his voice received through prayer and personal revelation of the spirit? Are hearkening to the voice of self, or the voice of the wise of this world, who shout that God's ways and even his prophets are misplaced, boring, unnecessary, uncaring, or even in the rhetoric of the world, deceitful and hateful. Well,
0: there's certainly a lot to unpack in that quote. First off, notice the contrast between the idea of seeing the world through your own eyes Or through the eyes of your covenants. Once again, this contrast that is implicit here between your own free agency, seeing the world through your eyes versus seeing the world through the eyes that the church gives you to see the world through. And heaven forbid that we should listen to alternate voices that are apparently saying such heretical things as the prophets are boring. Can you imagine the prophets are boring? Who would ever think such a thing? prepare the rack and the Iron Maiden. But the part I found the most interesting was where he discounted the idea that the prophets are deceitful. Did you hear him say that, that the prophets are deceitful? That's remarkable to me. In the first part of this very podcast that issued a week ago, I showed not only that the prophets and leaders of this church are deceitful, I have played audio clips from their own mouths in which they say they're being deceitful, in which they apparently claim it is a badge of honor that they are not going to tell you the full story about the church. Indeed, that is not their responsibility, but they are only going to tell you the side of the story that benefits the church, the side of the story that makes Makes the church look good in the side of the story that they hope is going to keep you in the church and not leaving the church. That's why they don't want you to look up things on the internet. That's why they want you to only look at the church approved sources. So it is amazing to me that Elder Gay will stand up and with a straight face say he is shocked that people would say that the leaders of the church, the prophets are deceitful when the leaders of the church have themselves said that they are being deceitful. Which ends up making it so that Elder Gay's discounting of the idea that the church leaders are deceitful is itself deceitful. And who could possibly be behind this diabolical plan to get the members of the church to think that their leaders are deceitful? Is it the leaders themselves who have admitted they're being deceitful? No, if you guessed it's Satan who's behind this diabolical plan, you
1: know where you can go. Joseph Smith once said, the devil will use his greatest effort to trap the saints. He will so transform things as to make one gape at those who are doing the will of God. Without God's help and revelation, you simply cannot see things as they really are and as they really will be. The adversary is intent on making you gape at those who are doing the will of God. He is intent on keeping you from seeing and understanding reality, to keep you from seeing that you are deeply beloved son and daughter of God. His desire is to legitimatize the world and have you reject or half-heartedly turn to God. And especially to have you define yourself in your life's journey by some political, cultural, or other worldly pursuit or just plain indifference. So if you think the leaders of the church are boring,
0: you're being led astray by Satan. And actually, let's be a little more specific. If you think that this worldwide devotional by elder and sister gay is boring, well, you're being led astray by Satan. If you think the leaders of the church are deceiving, even though they've admitted the fact, then once again, you're being led astray by Satan. If you disagree with the church's stance on political or social issues, you are being led astray. Say it with me now, by Satan and you are discouraged from identifying yourself with any political or cultural affiliation, the only identification that is permitted for members of the church is to identify themselves as a member of the church. Now, you remember that the main premise of this entire talk by Elder Gay is that God wants to save your life. And the only way that God is going to save your life is if you do everything that the leaders of the church tell you how to do, even if it's not what you want to do and even if you would rather do something else. That's the only way that God is going to save your life. Well, he gives a story now from the flip side of the coin. If God is going to save your life only if you do everything church leaders tell you to do, then what is God going to do if you don't do everything the church leaders tell you to do and you actually exercise your own freedom to choose? Well, this story is about Elder Gay's best friend from high school, and now his talk assumes
1: a more sinister aspect. My best friend growing up introduced me to my wife. In high school, I baptized him, a member of the church, but he always found it difficult to fully commit to living the gospel, always justifying himself by saying that he never really did anything bad, which he didn't. Then one night at a party he drank too much and accidentally fell off a cliff and died. He was the same age as many of you. This tragedy should have never happened and would not have happened if covenant, not convenience, had guided my friend's life. Where do you draw the line in your life relative to the commandments of God? So now Brother Gay is going
0: all in. If you do everything church leaders tell you to do and if you sacrifice your own free agency, then God is going to save your life. But on the flip side, if you don't do everything the leaders of the church tell you to do and you dare presume to actually exercise your own agency, God's not only not going to save your life, he's actually going to kill you. Elder Gay is presumably laying it on super thick at this point because of the fact the church is literally hemorrhaging members. And by literally, I mean figuratively, but thousands and thousands of young adults are leaving the church every year over issues with church history. So it is imperative that Elder Gay pull out the big guns and make it clear that if they want God to save their life, they need to do everything church leaders tell them to do. They need to receive only the revelation that church leaders tell them to receive and that if they fail to do that, then their life could very well be on the line. For some reason, Eldergate Gate has not mentioned the many fully active, fully covenant-keeping Latter-day Saint missionaries who, while in the mission field, end up getting killed anyway. I guess that wouldn't fit with the narrative. Going on.
1: In today's language, we might say it this way. Will I allow a difficulty in finding someone to marry or desire to live in an unsanctioned relationship? or an event from church history, or a misguided action from some leader or teacher, or my worldly desires, or a loss of job, or a challenging illness, or a crushing distress, keep me from diligently following the Savior and fully participating in His church.
0: Now Elder Gay is getting down to brass tacks, and he wants to make it clear to his audience that no matter what is going on, in your life. You need to stay with the church. It doesn't make any difference if you're having a debilitating illness, some kind of crushing emotional issue, some question about church history. Yes, he sneaks that in. And he also talks about if you want to live in an unsanctioned relationship. Well, what is it you're talking about there, Elder Gay? An unsanctioned relationship. You know, I don't think he's talking about a guy and a girl living together. I think he just would have said the law of chastity there. No, he's talking about gay marriage. That's what he's talking about. He's trying to fly under the radar, talking about this temptation to live in an unsanctioned relationship. Yeah, if you want to be two gay people living together, whether you're married legally or not, that is something that will keep you away from the church. And therefore, no matter what it is that you want to do with your own free agency, remember, you need to sacrifice that in order to stay with the church. Doing what the church tells you to do is the only thing that will save your life. And let's go back to the party said about whether it's an issue in church history. So apparently, it doesn't make any difference what the issue is, or how many of them there are, or how much those issues with church history dynamite your faith in the LDS church. You ignore it, it doesn't make any difference, you just stay with the church. So really, it doesn't make any difference if these questions you have about church history make it so that you cannot believe that the LDS church is what it claims to be anymore. That doesn't make any difference. You stay with the church even if in your heart of hearts you believe it is not true. You see, whether you believe the church is true is not important. What is important is that you continue faithful in the church and that you do everything church leaders would tell you to do anyway. That's the message I'm getting from Elder Gay. But just when you thought his talk could not get any worse, he makes one of the most ironic statements I can ever recall a church leader making in a public address. In the context of this talk where Elder Gay is telling the members of the church what to think, what to believe, what to do, and how to act, he now admonishes them and cautions them about owning their own lives and not let anybody tell them what to think, what to believe, what to do,
1: and how to act. I am not making this up. Here's the tape. To build faith in them, you will need to eliminate from your life any self-justifying behaviors. You will need to own your life and not let others dictate your actions and choices, your perspectives, your attitudes, reactions, feelings, thoughts, and beliefs, all things that you control.
0: Wow, just wow. Isn't that incredible? In a talk in which Elder Gay has already said that we need to live a covenant life in order for God to save our life, remember, we need to live a covenant life, and he has already defined a covenant life as doing everything that church leaders tell you to do, even when you don't want to, even when you have good reasons for not wanting to do it, but rather do something else. In other words, exercise your own free agency. In the context of this same talk, he now goes on to say that we need to own our own life, that we need to not, repeat not, let others dictate to us our actions, our choices, our perspectives, our attitudes, our reactions, our feelings, our thoughts, and our beliefs. I think I got all that down right. That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? And this is why, once again, we see that this talk perfectly illustrates this idea of the illusion of agency. Here in this one part of his talk, he's saying you have absolute agency. You need to own your own life and not let anybody else dictate any of these things to you. How you believe, what you think, how you react, what you do. Don't let anybody dictate those things to you, except, of course, for Elder Gay and the church that he represents. He is telling his audience that they need to own their own lives after telling them that they don't own their own lives, that the church is the one who actually owns their life. I'm going to play this quote again because the contradiction and the mixed message here is so stark that it really needs to be heard once more to be believed.
1: You will need to own your life and not let others dictate your actions and choices, your perspectives, your attitudes, reactions, feelings, thoughts, and beliefs, all things that you control. If you're feeling sort of confused by the mixed messages in Elder Gay's talk,
0: you're not alone. So is the poor kid who has to stand up and give the closing prayer at the end of his talk, who manages to incorporate those mixed messages into his prayer. He first off asks God to help us to be spiritually self-reliant, And then he says, to do so by living a life of covenant and not of convenience. Our
1: dear, kind Heavenly Father, we are extremely grateful for this Sabbath day that we have, we have had, and for the opportunity to listen to the messages by Elder and Sister Gay. And Father, at this time, we ask Thee to please bless us that we will be able to take their messages and be able to become spiritually self-reliant and that we'll be able to increase our capacity to receive personal revelation and to live a covenant-keeping life instead of a convenient life. This poor kid,
0: do you see what he did there? He was obviously paying attention to the talks because he has incorporated both sides of the mixed message into his prayer. He first asked Heavenly Father to give us the power to be spiritually self-reliant, and to receive personal revelation and then he follows it up immediately by saying that he wants god to help us to live lives of covenant and not of convenience well when a life of covenant has already been clearly defined by elder gay as living a life doing exactly what it is the church leaders tell you to do it is hard to see how that equates with being spiritually self-reliant and it also seems to do away with any necessity for receiving personal revelation. But that is the end of the worldwide devotional by Elder and Sister Gay given on May 3rd, 2020. There were more things in their talks that I could have commented on, but I think this is sufficient to prove my point that this is a classic instance, and indeed a treatise on the illusion of agency as taught and practiced in the LDS Church. Where spiritual self-reliance is the same thing as spiritual servitude where liberty is slavery and the freedom to choose is the freedom to do what you're told well that's about all for tonight remember in what is hopefully the winding down scene of this coronavirus pandemic continue to be vigilant wash your hands frequently with soap and hot water stay away from crowds maintain good social distancing of at least six feet from the nearest person if you have to cough cough into your elbow and not upon your neighbor and together we will lick this coronavirus until next time This is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.